Today we're continuing our series in the book of Exodus. I'll be reading Exodus chapter 18, verses 1 through 27. As you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of his authority over us. Exodus chapter 18, starting with verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute. But they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know what statutes... I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they should decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people will go on to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. 
and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. This is God's word. You may be seated. I told Riley he needed to read that at 2x speed, and he did pretty good. Way to go, man. Morning, everybody. My name is Craig. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at Christ Community. We are continuing our series through Exodus, um, the subtitle being God Who Makes Himself Known. Uh, have you guys ever done that thing with a two liter of Diet Coke and Mentos? You know what I'm talking about? It's where you take, you guys are going to go home and do this. Uh, this is only for informational purposes. I do not endorse this activity necessarily, but uh, you take a two liter of Diet Coke. I did this at a camp with some kids that I was leading, youth group camp. And you take some Mentos and you drop it in there. And there's this moment so t- where the Mentos actually drops in there where you're wondering, is there going to be some sort of a chemical reaction? Is something going to happen? And then all of a sudden, boom, it happens. And the, the Coke comes spraying out and everyone screams. And it's really fun. Um, chapter 18 of Exodus is a uh, Mentos in the Coke bottle moment. You wonder if what God has been doing, what he's been dropping into, so to speak, using the Mentos uh, illustration there, what God's been doing is actually going to come to fruition. Is God's purposes and his plans for Israel, for Egypt, for all these plagues, is it going to happen? And chapter 18 is the boom moment. It does happen. What God's plans are do come to fruition, but it's subtle. It's subtle. What God said would happen suddenly starts happening, and it happens through an unlikely man, this guy Jethro that you just heard Riley reading about. A lot to get into today. It's an exciting chapter. I want to pray. I want to ask the Lord's help, and we'll dive in. Let's pray together. Lord, feed us, nourish us, heal us. We need to be touched by you today, by the power of God. We ask that you'd extend your hand towards us to, to heal sickness or our hearts, so much sadness. Lord, encourage us, empower us, strengthen us. Strengthen us for what you've called us to. Draw us close to you today. Speak, Lord, we're, we're listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, just a reminder, if you do have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up. We're, at, we're in Exodus chapter 18. This is a really significant chapter. You'll see as we go along. Um, the focus, again, is on, Mo- on Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, who, I don't know if you caught it in there, he definitely says to him at some point, uh, what you're doing is not good. I don't know if any of you uh, husbands out there had your father-in-law say that to you. That's not exactly what you want to hear from your father-in-law. But it's good. It's a good thing. He's right. We'll see. Jethro, f- the father-in-law of Moses, is a priest. He's a priest from a place called Midian. And that's significant because Midian and this, the, the, whole, the whole place, the people, and this man, they are not part of Israel. He's a Gentile. Jethro is a Gentile, meaning someone who's not part of the people of Israel. And that's important. It's important to the book of Exodus. It's important in the entire Bible because he represents the nations, the nations that God had been speaking about through Exodus, the nations that would know that he is God. And our text immediately says, Jethro heard all that God had done. 
for Israel and Moses. That's how this, that's how this chapter starts. That's verse one. That frames this entire encounter. Someone not part of God's people hearing about God and what he has done. So just right off the bat, what I want you to catch, one of the, one of the tricky parts of Exodus or studying the Old Testament, studying the Bible in general, is kind of the question, what does it have to do with me? What does it have to do with our life? We can grab hold of something right off the bat here in chapter 18. Jethro, someone who's outside of Israel, who did not belong to, Ezra, to Israel, Jethro is really like us. That's who we were. All of us either are or we were in the position of, of Jethro. We, we were outside the people of God or we are right now. But we're also in the same position as Jethro because right now in this moment, if you're in this room today and you're listening to what I'm saying, you're hearing about the works of God. You're hearing it from my mouth. You're hearing it when we sing. You're hearing it when we pray. You're hearing. So we're, we are like Jethro, okay? Verses two through seven, we have a family reunion. Moses gives this cultural greeting to Jethro. He sees his wife and kids after a prolonged absence. His two sons, Gershom, a foreigner, that's what that name means, and Eliezer, God is our helper. And really, his sons are kind of the story of his life, Moses' life. I'm a sojourner, a stranger, but God has been my help. Moses and Jethro go into the tent, and Moses, in verse 8, tells Jethro, this Gentile outside of God's people, what God did, and about all the hardship, and about the deliverance of God. So what is Moses doing when he's doing that, when he gets Jethro in the tent and he starts talking to him about God and explaining everything that happened. He's sharing his testimony. He's telling Jethro everything that God did for him. That's evangelism. We had a class taught on that topic this morning. Um, Evangelism, telling someone about who God is and what he's done, sharing the good news with others. Now here's what I love about this, what Moses is doing right here. First, it's natural. It's natural. Moses knew and experienced God's goodness personally. He had lived it out. And then he shared it. Just kind of bubbled up and out. Have you experienced the goodness of God? If you have, share it. Talk about it. I remember hearing a long time ago that one of the best things that you can do as a parent in order to raise kids who follow Christ is to worship in their presence. Worship God in their presence. In other words, share about how how great he is, how good he is. Tell him, tell God how great he is. Because as your kids hear you testify from your own heart of your own experience of God's goodness and grace in your life, they latch on to that. They they hear your testimony, they see your witness. But that, that bit of advice, that's not only for parents and kids, that's for all of us. When we experience God's goodness, it's a very, it ought to be a very natural thing for us to share about that. That's a, situation, that's a situation we always would find ourselves in. For every situation, we can share about God's goodness to us. Moses isn't sharing some sort of prepped presentation, not some sort of polished evangelistic tract or anything. It's just part of life. It's part of what matters to him. It's significant. So it's natural, you see? Here's the other thing that I saw here. It's familiar. This is Moses' father-in-law. 
How many of you out there right now have family that are not part of the family of God? Or you have friends who are not part of the family of God or neighbors? It's, it's all of us. All of us have that. You are put in their life. If you know Jesus Christ, if you can testify to the goodness of God, you're there for a purpose. God has you in those people's lives for a reason. To testify to his goodness, to proclaim his greatness and his glory. It's a familiar relationship. I think sometimes we can presume that maybe um, that person that doesn't know God, that person who doesn't know about the greatness of God and the goodness of God, that someone else will kind of step in or, you know, somebody, maybe they'll go to church one day and the guy who's standing up front will tell them someday. No, that's not how it works. Don't presume that. God put you there to proclaim his excellencies to them. He put you in their life for a reason. Sometimes we hesitate sharing about God and his works because of how the person might respond, right? We kind of project, oh, if I say this, then they're going to do that. And I think from Exodus, we can see that the response of people to God and his works really isn't in our hands. We can entrust that to him. Amalek, what we just talked about, that group of people that we heard last week, we talked about last week, they heard about God and his works, and they responded one way. They decided to pick a fight. Jethro responded in a different way. Let's, let's reread that right now. It's verse 9. Look at how Jethro responded. Verse 9. Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I, I mean, I praise God for this. I praise God for this response. I praise God for what this means, what this means for me, what this means for us. Jethro, a man from another nation who worshipped other gods, rejoiced when he heard about God and his good works. God's make, and why, why this causes me to, to praise God, why it causes me to be so thankful, is because God is making himself known. Not just to his own people, but he's actually making himself known to all the nations. That was his plan all along. And you heard me say that earlier, but I just want to show you that again. That is in Exodus 9, 14 through 16. But really, we, I could show you this all throughout the book of Exodus. Let me just read Exodus 9, 14 through 16 again to show you that this was his plan, that he'd be made known among all nations. Verse 14, chapter 9. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself. So God is talking to Pharaoh, talking about the plagues that he's going to do. I'm going to send all the plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there's none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That was his plan. And what's so amazing is this scene that's about to unfold starting in verse 9 and going through verse 12 it is so significant. I put myself out there. You guys be the judge. See if I'm right, okay? I consider these verses to be the climax of the book of Exodus. You might be thinking, whoa, 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 Craig. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. 
that does, do you mean like everything is lame after this? Like it gets, Exodus gets really boring. Like we've hit the climax and now it's just all, no, that's not what I'm saying. This moment is really encapsulating what Exodus is about. And then you might be thinking, oh wait, hold up, Craig, hold on. We're talking about Exodus, okay? Climax, let me just, Red Sea, a lot of frogs, blood to water, pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. Where do you want, manna from heaven, where do you want to stop? Those, those are pretty big moments. Let's read it. Verses 10 through 12, I'll show you what I mean. Verses 10 through 12. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know, same word, by the way, as in Exodus chapter 9, that the the nations may know, same word, verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, with Moses' father-in-law, before God. The climax of Exodus, in my opinion, is a meal in the presence of God and all the nations are invited. It's a meal in the presence of God. They're eating before God. They're making sacrifice. They're consecrating themselves. They're wholly devoting themselves in the presence of God. And who is invited? All the nations are welcome there in God's presence. Jethro is a sign. He is a sign that God's missionary purposes are being realized. They're coming to fruition. The Mentos has dropped. Jethro's confession of faith fulfills what God said would happen through the exodus, that the nations would know. He knows. The nations will know. Jethro is the first fruits of a harvest of souls. A harvest of souls that, brothers and sisters, you got to hear me on this. Jethro is the first fruits that led to me and you being part of the family of God. You can like draw a line. You can draw a line through scripture and it starts before Jethro for sure and it goes through Jethro and on through David and on through the prophets and on through to Jesus and go make disciples of all nations and then into Acts and the expansion of the church and then the, the gospel coming and Paul making his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not already been named lest he build on someone else's foundation down to this very day where you have heard about God his works and you've trusted in him we're grafted into that beautiful glorious line think about it this way think about chapter 18 this way what we just read what happens at a meal when you eat a meal sometimes at my house we we have to eat and run got to get to the sports got to get to the school activities but most of the time it's the meal is not merely for our physical sustenance it's, it's about fellowship. It's about relationship. That's what happens at a meal. You're supposed to. So consider the other significant moments and markers. So we got the meal. That's a significant moment. I'm saying it's maybe the most significant moment. And consider the other significant moments and markers of Exodus. The pillars. The Red Sea crossing. The plagues. The manna. 
Those things came and then they went. It all would eventually fade away. But that meal, the fellowship with God that those people were experiencing in that moment, seeking and abiding in the presence of God, that would continue even to this day. On through Exodus, what we'll see, we'll see how God comes and dwells among his people. He he lives among them in a tabernacle. And then he leads them to the promised land where eventually they take the land and they build a temple. Why? That his presence would be among them. And then eventually God says, I'm going to tear down that temple and replace it with a true temple that's going to be raised and built in three days How is that? Jesus, the cornerstone on which the spiritual house, the way of connecting to God, because that was what the temple was designed for, to bring you into the presence of God. Jesus would give his life. That's how he would build it in three days. He would bear the punishment for sin that kept us separated from a holy God, from communion with God, from fellowship with him. Jesus would bear that sin and he would take it to the grave and then three days later he rose again. See, three days later he rebuilt the temple. The way was made, the temple was formed and now we could connect with the God for whom we were made. The temple was rebuilt. And now we have a true house of meeting, a true way to meet with God, a way to access what we truly need or should I say who we truly need. Because the purpose of of Jesus Christ and the cross and the resurrection, the purpose of all that wasn't just to merely make your life have more peace. That's not merely it. It wasn't, what Jesus did on the cross wasn't merely so that your sins would be forgiven, as great as that is. It wasn't merely so that you could experience more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Though it certainly is part of that. Here's what Christ's purpose was in going to the cross. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. He brings us to God. Christ suffered so that Jethro and Moses and me and you could share a table with God Almighty so that we could know him really know him so that we could have fellowship with him I've been talking with my kids a lot lately about Psalm 27 4 this is just the cry the ache of my heart I was telling somebody earlier today you know they asked what do you love most about about being a pastor and I was saying you know what honestly what I love the most this is what I want to be true of me and I wish it was more true of me and yet it is true What I want to be true of me is Psalm 27, 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I seek after. 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. His presence, do you see? There it is, his presence again. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire of his temple. One thing. What I, want my, what I love about being a pastor, most of all, is I get to walk with God. And I know I don't have to be a pastor to do that. I just want to do that. I want my life to be about that. And when I'm close to him like that, I want to bring other people with me in that because, I, because of what I'm seeing. I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire of his temple. Is that the one thing for you? Do you know that you have a way through Jesus to do that day after day after day? That's what you're made for. You're made to know God. He brings us to God to gaze upon his beauty. And I don't want to, I, I feel so strong about that. I don't want to miss the other part of what's going on here with Jethro in chapter, 12, in chapter 18. And why I really does feel it, it really is the climax. And, and it's this. We didn't belong. We didn't belong in the presence of God. According to the thinking of that time, gods were tribal, territorial. They were like, you know, this God sticks with that people and that God sticks with that people. But not the Lord as he revealed himself in Exodus. Not Yahweh, the Lord. He was the maker of heaven and earth. All things belong to him. And all nations belong to him. It's always been that way from the very beginning. Made to know him and to share fellowship with him. Have you ever been an outsider? Have you ever been overlooked, unseen, forgotten, cast out, rejected? Of course, we all have. We all have experienced that to some degree. We all are Gentiles, most likely. We're outside the promises of God. But God's heart, his passion and his plan was to fill his kingdom, not with just Israel, but with Jethro's, with the nations. We didn't belong, but he brought us in. And in fact, that's exactly where all of history is headed. It's something that he will accomplish, that Jesus purchased with his blood. In Revelation 5, we get a glimpse of that. A glimpse of the future. It's the song that's going to be sung to Jesus who conquers. And the song goes like this. Verse 9 of Revelation 5. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you. They're singing to Jesus. We're singing to Jesus. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is the great reality toward which all of history is hurtling. Our moment right now is part of heading, heading there. That's where we're going. And that includes me and you and millions of others from all tribes, tongues, languages, and nations. Here's what I think that this passage emphasizes through proclaiming God's wonders and Jethro's response. God has done great things for us. He really has. He's worked mighty wonders of salvation, deliverance, redemption, healing, provision. That's what, that's what Jethro's hearing, right, in the tent. He's hearing about all these things that God has done. And those things are worthy to be repeated and to be proclaimed. He is worthy. Just don't... I just want you to grab onto that. 
the worthiness of God, the greatness and the beauty of who he is, and that he has laid the table. He's welcomed you into his fellowship through the Son. He's worthy. He's worthy to seek in his presence, and he's also worthy to be proclaimed. Psalm, 8, Psalm 46 says this, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among, in the earth. God makes himself known to the nations through his works. And there is no other greater work than the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is how we have been brought to God. Jethro is the first fruits of hearing God's work and then trusting in him. And the God who makes himself known to all the nations will be made known by saving his people. That's exactly what's happening in the first chapters of Exodus. He's going to save his people out of, ex, out of uh, Egypt, deliver them, and those stories are going to be told and told and told. Listen to what he has done. That's how he's going to be made known. But that's not the only way God makes himself known. He makes, his known, his makes himself known by saving his people, and he makes himself known by his saved people. That's what we begin to observe in verses 13 through 27. That's the second half of this passage. This section of scripture is often, for good reason, quoted as uh, like solid advice for delegation and management structure. Moses is burning out, right? That's what Jethro told him. Yeah, this isn't good, what you're doing here. Jethro sees him judging people all day, every day, all by himself. And then Jethro wisely tells Moses, you need to create a flow of authority, You talk to God and then point people over groups of thousands, hundreds, and tens. This is really about taking care of everybody, all the way down to individual families. When you get down to the tens, you're talking about individual family units. It's family-sized. But you don't just appoint anyone. That's what Jethro said. Appoint leaders with these qualifications. They're able. They fear God. They have integrity. And that's what Moses does. What's the result? Verses 23 and 24. You can read it again with me. If you do this, so Jethro's talking to Moses, if you do this, God will direct you. You'll be able to endure and all this people also will go to their place in peace. That sounds nice. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Okay, this section shows us a few things. One, it takes everyone, right? It takes everyone. When it comes to the work of the Lord, it's going to take the entire body of Christ. If we aren't sharing the work of the Lord, then we're sinning. I heard it said like this, God will never make you sin in order for you to accomplish what he wants you to do for him. Uh, If I am sinfully neglecting my family in order to do the Lord's work, that is not God's will for me. If I am sinfully overworking or, you know, neglecting sleep or healthy habits like that in order to do God's work, that's not God's will for me. In fact, what I'm doing is I'm acting like the work depends all on me and not on him. And that is arrogance. God encourages us to share his work, to divide it. It doesn't all depend on us. It doesn't all depend on me. It takes everybody. Here's the second thing we see. 
Character is the primary qualification for doing the Lord's work. When it comes to leadership in the Lord's work, the qualifications are primarily character. Fear God, integrity. That's true for anything in ministry. Think about, think about the announcement we made earlier today. Scott Berkey, right? We were asking him to come on as an elder again. It's a position he's held before. He's done a great job. We love him. And what we're asking you, church, to do is give us feedback. Feedback on what? How good he is at shooting hoops? How amazing of a speaker he is? No, no. It's his character. That's what 1 Timothy 3 is all about. It's about character. That's the requirements of an elder. My greatest hope, my desire, my prayer for everyone who serves here at Christ Community, and I mean everyone, whether it is, you know, someone who's on staff or one of the elders or someone who's doing the coffee or someone who's watching the kids, someone who's doing music, my greatest hope for anyone who serves at Christ Community is that he or she would walk with God. That they would know God. They would love God. That's the greatest desire that I have. As a, is, it, and it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what you do. The heart is what matters most. Why? It's not my idea. That's what God values. God values that. We can think of several high-profile examples, both inside the church and outside the church, where charisma, personality draw people in but the heart of the person in leadership is corrupted and it ends in disaster I just want to say this I'm not a prophet I can't see all things I don't know all things but I can say this from my vantage point of the leadership here at Christ Community I cannot help but praise God for the men and women that we have in leadership here at Christ Community I was sitting, I, as I was getting to this section in my sermon, I was thinking about all the leaders that we have here at Christ Community, different levels, different people doing different stuff, and I just thought, wow, we get a lot of people doing a lot of good stuff who really love the Lord. Praise God. I'm so thankful for that. This call here, this passage is calling us to align our values for leadership with God's values, and he values character, the heart. Third, ability, the ability to do something well, is a blessing. It is. When it comes to leadership in the Lord's work, there is also a place for skill, for ability. That's part of the equation that Moses is given here. And I was looking, just, just the other, last week we had a members meeting. And we had a survey that was pushed out to all the members um, asking about our vocations, our jobs. And one thing stood out to me as I looked at the results of, of all those uh, surveys. We have a very diverse skill set here. There's a lot of people doing a lot of different stuff and high-level skill. You know what I say to that? Praise God. We are a very able, we're not super huge, but we're a va- very able group of people. You all have been entrusted with skills through through. Uh, either spiritual gifts or natural gifts or your experience in the world that can be used in all kinds of ways to glorify God, to bless the church, to bless others. I praise God for that. It's a good thing. Ability is a blessing. It is. And here's the last one. It's kind of the overarching theme for this whole section of verses 13 through 27. What's the purpose for all this delegation and leadership structure? 
why, why have all these different layers? Why, is it just about Moses' burnout? Is that what's going on? The purpose is that the word of God would spread through the people of God. Did you catch that? Look at verse 16. Verse 16. When they have a dispute, so Moses is talking, when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them known the statutes of God and his laws. Well, what Jethro is saying is it doesn't have to be just you. It can be everybody. To do what? To make known the statutes and the laws of God. That's the point here. The structures are in place to make known the word of God. God's made himself known. Made, him known, made himself known through the works, right? And saved people that way. And now he's setting up a structure through Jethro the Gentile and Moses his servant that enables people to hear and obey the word of God. Why is that so important? Why is it so important to hear the word of God? You guys know that. It's the right thing to do, right? Well, in Deuteronomy, they're looking back on this experience that they're, that they're in right now in the wilderness. And it says this, Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3. Why is it so important for us to hear the word of God? Verse 2, chapter 8, Deuteronomy says, And you shall remember that the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that the man, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. More than bread, more than water, more than a roof over your head, more than anything else, God's saying, you need me. This is how you're going to truly flourish, how you're truly going to live. You feed on me, you feed on my word. And people are fed, people who are fed by God's word, they will display the glory of God to the world. The law, God's word, is missional in nature. Not only does the word go out and save people, it's the power of gospel salvation, like it says in Romans 1. It also shapes the very people of God. If you are a Christian, if you're someone who is feeding on the word of God, you're being shaped, molded, fashioned by his word. He speaks to shape. God speaks to his people to mold them and make them into his image. To make them a city on a hill. A light on a lampstand. To be salt, to be light to the world. But I want, you bring, I want to bring you back to the point here of this passage. The, the people proclaim God's word to each other. I preach to you right now. You discuss it and pray about it in core communities throughout the week. You go to Sunday school. You go to Bible studies. The word of God is proclaimed to you in various ways. Do you proclaim it? The point of Exodus 18, 13 through 27 of all the structures is proclamation. And the point of proclamation comes back to the meal that Jethro shared in the presence of God. 
that all the people would know God. The the reason that we have structures the way that we do, the leaders that we do, the flow of information that we do, even me preaching to you right now, is ultimately this. We want you to know God. We want you to know God. To experience the fellowship of verse 12. You and your friends and your family, your roommates, your kids, your neighbors, and all the nations. Hearing of God's works and hearing God's word is an invitation to a meal, to fellowship, to communion with him. And that is the invitation I just want to issue you again freshly this morning from the Lord Jesus Christ. He invites you, come and eat. Come feast with me. Not physical food that will fill your belly for a little bit and then go away. Spiritual food that will fill you to eternity. Come be with me. The Lord Jesus invites you. Come be with me in my presence. He's the host of this meal. He's here in this place right now through his spirit. Come be with me where all the nations are welcome. You are welcome. Communion pictures this. That's why we take it every week. It's a look back to our own exodus where God brought us out, where God delivered us. And it reminds us of the eternal banquet that's one day to come. We do this until he returns, and he will, soon. And that eternal banquet, that's going to be a great day, where there's going to be no more division, no more sin, sorrow, death, and all the nations will be there. It's a wedding supper, the wedding supper of the Lamb, of Jesus Christ, who gave his life to make a way for us to be with God. Jesus invites you this morning. Just like Jethro, my invitation to you, the plea of scripture, is to turn to him, to rejoice in him. Are you weary? Turn to him, rejoice in him. Are you overwhelmed by sin? Turn to Christ, rejoice in him. He's made a way. Are you in need? You find what you need in his presence. He's waiting for you. Feed on his word and be satisfied. Let's pray. Lord, we need you so incredibly desperately. Come and nourish our souls. Thank you, Jesus, that you've opened the way for us. We praise you for that. We were made for you. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing us to God. Thank you for the access that we have. Come and fill our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.